have been uh, walking the path and uh, hearing the story of Job for the past several Sundays, and uh, we have made it to Job chapter 3. So, as you guys are turning and flipping and as the kids are leaving, I'd invite you to turn with me to Job chapter 3. Um, we, this morning, uh, will be uh, hearing Job's lament. That's the sermon title this morning, is, is Job's lament. And we get to uh, probably what is another um, a section of the scripture that is probably not addressed very much, but I think we have much to learn uh, from Job chapter 3. And I, for one, am very grateful that God in his divine providence used uh, the author to inspire Job's Lament in Job chapter 3. So if you were there, uh, we're going to begin. Uh, where we left off last Sunday, if you were here, um, just for a recap, we have seen Job, uh, the man whom God had poured out all of his blessings upon, a, a righteous man, a godly man, a man full of integrity, a good family man, a loving father and husband, uh, and one who is above uh, above reproach in all areas. Um, and we see at, at God's allowance uh, him suffering at the hand of Satan, not only once but twice. He has lost all of his earthly possessions aside from maybe a servant or two. A servant or two. We have seen not only that, but uh, in round two, Job was struck with uh, loathsome boils uh, from the bottom of his foot to the top of his neck. And so Job is now a picture of suffering in, uh, in every way, shape, and form. And what we see is Job's wife approached him last week in Job chapter 2 and said, Honey, why don't you just give up? I'm tired of seeing you suffer like this. And so she suggested that he compromise his integrity, that he curse God and die. And Job, uh, without flinching, uh, told her uh, that she spoke as one of the foolish women speaks. And how shall we not receive good from the hand of the Lord and also uh, receive bad? And in that saying, the text uh, says in chapter 2 that Job didn't sin with his lips. In fact, twice in chapter 1, the, the author, God, ultimately wants us to know that this man who has gone through at this point a tremendous amount of suffering did not sin with his lips, with what he said. And the reason that's important is because here in chapter 3, we're going to get Job opening up his mouth. We're going to get Job talking with those lips. And so Job speaks in chapter 3. If you recall from last week, uh, Job's three friends, there were actually four, but the text names three at the, at the get-go, have uh, come and decided to come to comfort him and to sympathize with him. And the text uh, left us last week with these three friends coming to come uh, uh, sympathize with Job's, Job. And the text says that for seven days and for seven nights that they sat there on the ground in the uh, trash heap, if you will, in the dump of that day with Job. And the text says that not a word was said. And so as we pick up the story in chapter 3, um, seven days of silence, seven nights of sheer silence with Job huddled around his friends and his friends in agony, uh, suffering along with him. I, I want to paint a picture for us of what these seven days and these seven nights might have been like from Job, from my imagination, but also from the text. Um, first of all, Job 
during this time uh, did not find any relief from the physical suffering that he was enduring. I imagine Job sitting there uh, uh, next to the dung and the trash heap and the dogs walking by and, and the scoffers staring and Job's three friends just being with him in silence. I can imagine uh, Job holding a cloth to, a, to an oozing boil that had been giving him trouble on the back of his neck. I can imagine him picking at the boil on his knee that is infested, as the text says, with worms, and he's picking at the worm that has come to live inside of his body. I can see him peeling away the scabs of the calloused uh, boils that uh, must have hardened over after a time, and he's picking at the scabs, itching incessantly, trying to find some bit of relief. I can see him in the middle of, of, of a cold night, uh, sleeping uh, back to the ground with the bare dirt causing him irritation as he tosses and as he turns and as he tries to find just a bit of comfort because the boils on his back are rubbing against the raw dirt and the earth is making it almost impossible for him to get comfortable in the night. I imagine during the day, Job looking at his friends and catching a glance from them as, as, they, as they are caught staring at his, as the text indicates, a degenerately marred face. He doesn't look like he used to. It's not a pretty sight, and, and I can imagine him noticing Bildad looking at him, staring, and then uh, and then moving his eyes away from him. I, I can imagine him uh, with his arms and his face to his head because the splitting headache, headache that seemingly does not go away is also accompanied, according to the text, by a raging fever. He's running 101, 102, 103. The fever seems to go up and his head just throbs with pain and there is no, there is no relief from this raging fever. During these seven days, uh, Job's physical suffering did not diminish. But not only was he suffering physically during this time period before he speaks, he's suffering emotionally. He's suffering emotionally. Remember the encounter with his wife. We don't know the details of exactly what happened, but he essentially called her a foolish woman. She probably did not take that very well. And we know that Job is left there. His wife leaves him at the city dump, and we don't know where she goes. We don't know where she goes. Uh, Minimally, you could say that Job is estranged from his wife, that there is some tension in their relationship. You could even speculate that maybe she has left him. Job does not know. He is left there and he is suffering emotionally. Not only is he suffering uh, suffering emotionally from his uh, estranged relationship from his wife, but the memory of his children... Remember, Job had ten adult children, all grown, all of which were killed as the pillars uh, broke and as the roof of the oldest son's house dropped in on them all. And I would imagine with the, uh, the status and the wealth that Job had and his kids surely enjoyed that this house was no mere one-bedroom house. It was big. And in, in, in Job's mind, I can imagine him pl- uh, going, uh, running through the process over and over. I can imagine him waking up with the nightmares of looking and pulling up the rubble of his son's house, finding his ten adult children dead, one by one, pulling them from the rubble. And this surely kept him awake at night as well. And so Job, in these seven days, found no relief uh, physically. He found no relief 
emotionally. And during that time, as minutes turned into hours and as hours turned into days and as days turned into what was eventually a week, uh, both Job and Job's friends surely had time to think. Job's friends, I think, had time to think and to ponder Job's state. And as we're going to find out next Sunday, as we go through all of the dialogue in the book in one sermon, uh, we're going to find out that during that time period, Job's friends were thinking. And they were asking the question, why? Just as Job was asking the question, why? But they came up with different answers. As they were thinking, sympathizing, looking, comforting Job the best they could, they were formulating in their mind the answer to that question of why. And their answer was, he deserves it. He deserves it. He must have done something. There must be some sin. There must be some injustice done by him. And as Job surely had time to play all of these things over in his mind, he probably was thinking, amongst other things, what he was going to say. Because if you remember last week, um, what we found out is when visitors would come to a mourner, one who was in mourning, they would traditionally wait for the one who is in pain, who is mourning, to speak first. And we see the friends doing that for seven days. They wait, and Job knows that it's his role to speak first. He has to break the silence. And in our chapter today, Job chapter 3, Job does essentially that. He breaks the silence. And what we're going to see in chapter 3 is Job's, uh, as, he, as he breaks his silence, we're going to see what I would call a, a lament. It's, it's a lament unlike any other lament. It ranks up there with the, the best, if you will, <laughs> laments in the Bible. And I would, it's unfiltered. What we're going to get today is an unfiltered, it's, it's uncensored, it's raw, it's an emotional outburst from the lips of Job, the one who, who did not sin against God with his lips, and by the way, I don't think he does here either. But we're going to get this, for lack of a better word, this vomit of a lament is what we're going to get. Uh, Speaking about structure, if you want to take a few notes, if you want to know where we're going, this lament basically has three three structures, three sections, if you will. Um, And I'll have to be honest, if uh, it's... This may not be an uplifting sermon. I hope it's going to be uplifting, and I think for those of you who have been in Job's shoes, to any degree, this is going to be uplifting. It's going to be encouraging because you will find out that godly men and women also feel like you do. Um, But on the other hand, well, here's what we say. Job, here's what Job says. In verses 1 through 10, we see Job wishes that he had not been born. Uh, The first section, Job in his lament, simply says, would have been better if I had not been born. Uh, Secondly, Job wishes that he had died at birth, verses 11 through 19. And so Job says, well, since I was born, I wish that I would have been still born. And then in verses 20 through 26, Job says, if I, since I was born and uh, since I didn't die at birth, I just wish that it would end now. In verses 20 through 26. So if you didn't walk in depressed this morning, there's a good chance you may walk out depressed. No, just kidding. Hopefully not. Um, but this is a lament, folks. And the reason why I am very happy that this is in the text is because it's real. The Bible is a real book. It doesn't hide emotion. It doesn't hide feeling. And here we get a lament from a godly man who does not sin against God from his lips, but voices a deep, 
hurt in his life. And as I said, my prayer for those of us who have gone through anything like Job has gone through, and for those of us who will go through something like Job has gone through, I think Job will put voice to maybe what you're feeling inside. So let's go through this. What we're going to do is walk through the the text. Uh, I'll make some comments, and then we'll apply this text at the end. Uh, Before we walk through it and look at the pieces, I want to read from uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, Paraphrase the Message. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with the message. It's it's a paraphrase, so it's not exact. But I think in Job chapter 3, I think Eugene Peterson gets the sense of the text, and I think it'll be helpful. So I'd like to read this first, uh, Job chapter 3 from the message, and then we'll walk our way through these sections. Um, It says this, Then Job broke the silence. He spoke up, and he cursed his fate. Obliterate the day that I was born. Blank out the night that I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget that it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. In the night of my conception, the devil take it. Rip the date off of the calendar. Delete it. From the almanac. Oh, turn that night into pure nothingness. No sounds, of ple- uh, no sounds of pleasure from that night ever. May those who are good at cursing curse the day. Unleash the beast Leviathan on it. May its morning stars turn into black cinders, waiting for a daylight that never comes, never once seeing the first light of dawn. And why? Because it released me from my mother's womb into a life with so much trouble. Why didn't I die at birth? My first breath out of the womb be my last? Why were there arms to rock me and and, and breasts for me to drink from? I could be resting in peace right now, asleep forever, feeling no pain in the company of kings and statesmen in their royal garbs, or with princes resplendent in their gold and their silver tombs, why wasn't I stillborn and buried with all the babies who never saw light, where the wicked no longer trouble anyone, and bone-weary people get a long-deserved rest? Pioneers sleep undisturbed, never again to wake up, at the bark of of the dogs. The small and the great are equals in that place, and slaves are free from their masters. Why does God bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want in the worst way to die, and they can't, who can't imagine anything better than death, who count the day of their death and burial the happiest day of their life. What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense, when God blocks all the roads to meaning? Instead of bread, I get groans for my supper. Then leave the table and I vomit my anguish. The worst of my fears has come true. What I dreaded the most has happened. My response, my repose is shattered. My peace destroyed. No rest for me ever. Death has invaded life. And there is Job chapter 3, the lament 
of a man in pain. Okay, verses 1 through 10. Let's work our way through this. We're going to see some interesting things. Uh, And 1 through 10, Job begins, he wishes that he had not been born. Uh, What we see as we're going to read through 1 through 10 in the the English Standard Version, um, Job basically oscillates. He's talking about the day of his birth, and he's also, interestingly enough, he talks about the day of his conception. They're one and the same. He was conceived, therefore he was born. And he goes back and forth about talking uh, about them. He calls uh, the day day that he was born, that day and the night that he was conceived by his mother and father, that night, and he goes back and forth. So let's read it again together, verses 1 through 10, and I'll point out just a few things. Uh, verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let that day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man or a boy is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above never see it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, referring to his conception, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night of his conception be barren. Let no joyful cry enter into it. And then interestingly enough, he says, and those people who are good at cursing, let them curse my day. Notice, uh, let, let those who curse it, curse the day, that is, that he was born, who are ready to rouse up a Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. Because, and here's the reason, it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, that is, at conception, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Uh, a few things to point out. The big point here is Job's like, I just wish I wouldn't have been born quite simply. That's the point. First of all, notice Job curses the day of his birth, but he doesn't curse God. Remember what Satan accused uh, that Job would do? He said, you take away all this stuff and he will curse you to your face. And Job's wife says, curse God. And here we see him speaking up, but what does he do? He doesn't curse God, but he does curse. He doesn't curse God, but he curses the day he was born. Secondly, uh, interesting things to point out. Um, In verse 8, he talks about the cursing men rousing up a Leviathan. I don't know uh, how many of you in the past week spoke of a Leviathan in your everyday conversation. I know I probably didn't. I hope I didn't. (laughs) Uh, uh, But what's the deal there in verse verse 8? Notice, let those who curse it curse the day. So all the good cursing guys, man, you curse my birthday. And also, rouse up a Leviathan. Well, this is, um, this is mythology. We're all familiar with my- mythology. It runs through every culture. Things that aren't necessarily true, they're just stories that our culture takes. And in that culture, interestingly enough, a Leviathan was a seven-headed sea monster. And so imagine in your minds a sea monster kind of like... You know, old what is it, old Nelly down in Scotland? Is that right? The the sea monster? You know the one I'm talking about. It's like that coming. What is it? Nessie, Loch Ness. Old Nessie, is that right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. We talk we talk about that in Scotland. Imagine that coming out of the sea, and it has seven heads. And it, as the myth goes, when when the Leviathan would come out, uh, and there would be an eclipse. 
it would be caused by a Leviathan being roused. And the Leviathan, in, according to the myth, would come up and would snag the sun and would cause an eclipse. And so it was mythology. It was everyday use. But notice what Job says. Um, he says, I wish that, that, he, this, that, 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 that this Leviathan would come up and on the day of my birth, the day represented by the sun, that he would just blot it out. He wishes that this Leviathan would have eaten the sun on the day of his birth and therefore caused him not to be born. Now, this doesn't mean that Job doesn't uh, believe, uh, excuse me, that does, it doesn't mean that Job does believe in mythology. Job isn't, you know, talking about this thing as if it's real. You know, we do this in our everyday conversation. Uh, like for, for Santa Claus, for instance, we may say, you know, well, what did Santa Claus bring you, right? Or is Santa coming to, to town? Like we use this kind of language and it's, it's mythology. We know, you know, that it's, uh, it's Santa Claus. Um, and, and we don't believe it necessarily, although I guess some people do. Uh, I heard of a card, though, on a lighter note, um, a card that is a Christmas card, and I found it pretty interesting. It's, uh, the, on the card, it says the four stages of Santa, and then it, it's drawn on there. But the first stage of Santa uh, that we all go through is we believe in him. And so stage number one, we believe in Santa. Uh, stage number two, uh, we don't believe in him. And so we go from believing to not believing. Uh, secondly, uh, thirdly, excuse me, we become him. And so if you're mom and dad, you know, you become Santa Claus. And then fourthly, uh, the punchline is we look like him <laughs> when we're done. Um, hopefully some of us, uh, you know, not as much. But Job doesn't believe this. He's just talking mythology. Third, I want us to point out in verses 9 through 10 the reason for this. Why did Job wish that why did Job wish that he had not been born? It, it says in verse 10, because, because it did not shut the, shut the doors of my mother's womb, referring to his conception, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Job essentially says, I wish I hadn't have been born because my life is in so much trouble, essentially. So Job wishes he had not been born. Verses 11 through 19, Job wishes that he had died at birth. Um, we won't, uh, read this as a whole, but I want to point out a few things. Job asked, uh, he asks three questions here, and they're essentially the same questions. Verses 11 uh, and 12, why did I not die at birth? Why did the knees receive me? Why did the breasts receive me that I should nurse? Um, he's asking the same questions in many different ways, as poetry does, and so he asks, why did that not happen to him? Uh, the reference here to, to the knees receiving the child is likely a reference to the culture at that day um, in Israel. When a child would be born, uh, they would take the child and, and, and place it in the knees of the sitting father. And the father would then take that child, place the child on his knees, and offer a family blessing on that child. And so he says, I wish that that really uh, never would have happened. And notice he gives us the reason as well, a very similar reason in verses 13 through 15. For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have been at rest. Essentially he says, I wouldn't have ever had to experience this if this had happened. He also gives us a second reason. Notice 17 through 19. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They don't hear the voice of their task masters. The slave is free from his master. Essentially, he says, all of the people in this life who suffer, who go through difficult things, uh, the, the slave, uh, the small person, all of the, all of the pain in this life, he essentially says, I, I could avoid that. And so he moves from saying, I wish I had not been born, to saying, I wish that I had died at birth. And then in verses 20 through 26, he takes the next step and he says, come to think of it, 
Death doesn't sound all that bad right now. Let's read uh, verses 20 through 26 together. He says this. He asks, again, as he has been throughout the whole lament, questions, very similar questions, uh, and he asks them over and over again, and then he answers them. Verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? So he uses this image of light and darkness, life and death, who long for death, but it doesn't come, who dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in. And so he asks these questions and he he essentially says, man, why does God give life to people who suffer so much? That's 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 essentially his question. And then he gives the reason for saying, oh man, you know, death might be a better option now. And he gives three reasons why. First of all, verse 24. Notice his physical pain. He's still very much suffering physically. And notice what he says. For my sighing comes. For my sighing comes instead of my bread. And my groanings are poured out like water. The picture here is that he is constantly in agonizing pain. Just like a stream of water that flows constantly, so his, is his groanings. The word here for sighing is the word used for a lion roaring. So it's not like a little whimper. You know, like, oh, I'm hurting. You know, it's not a little whimper. It's a, oh! Do you like that? I'm hurting. I'm hurting. It's a cry of complaining. It's a deep moaning. And Job says, I just hurt so much. And so the first reason why he wishes that that would be the case is because of his physical pain. Uh, In my studies uh, this week on the lighter side of things, I came across a story, and I want to share it with you. Um, I I, I think it's pertinent uh, to the text. Um, And the story is of a farmer. We'll call him Farmer Joe. And uh, the story goes something like this. Farmer Joe was driving down the road, and he was pulling uh, his horse uh, beside behind him, that is, uh, in the trailer, and he was hit by a large truck that from a large company, and he sustained major injuries, and so he decided to take this trucking company to court. And so it, as they had him on the stand, the, um, the prosecutor or the, you know, the, the lawyer on the other side began to ask him questions, and the lawyer asked him, uh, I have a question for you. Did you say to the state trooper, the policeman that first came on the scene, that you were fine? And uh, in the dialogue goes something like this. He responded, well, uh, let me just tell you what happened. So here's the deal. I was loading my favorite mule by the name of Nellie. Well, I didn't ask you about that. I asked you if you told the policeman that you were fine. And Farmer Joe said, well, let me just tell you the story. I just got Nellie into the trailer and I was driving down the road and the lawyer interrupted and he said, judge, all I'm asking is a simple question and this defendant is is not responding to me. I think he's a fraud. He's just trying to get money out of my company. And at that point, the judge was interested enough and so the judge said, Farmer Joe, uh, go ahead and tell your story. And the story went something like this. Um, he, he thanked the judge and he proceeded and he said, Well, as I was saying, I just loaded Nellie, uh, my favorite horse, into the trailer and I was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck and trailer ran the stop sign and smacked right into the side of my truck. I was thrown in one direction into the ditch and Nellie was thrown into the other ditch. I was hurting really bad. I didn't want to move. However, I could hear old Nellie moaning and groaning in terrible pain. I knew that she was in terrible shape because of her groans. 
Shortly after, there was a highway policeman uh, who came, and he came upon the scene, and he heard uh, Nellie moaning and groaning, and so he went over to her. Afterwards, I heard him uh, looking at her and checking her out, and I heard him load his gun, and I heard the shot, boom! And he shot her right in between the eyes to end her pain. Afterwards, I heard him coming my way, and he had his gun in his hand, and he looked underneath, and he said, Sir, are you okay? Is everything okay? Your mule was in such horrible shape. I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? Um, (laughs) All joking aside, uh, Job's pain, uh, unlike the horse, was not ended because he was in such pain. Uh, He continued to feel that pain. So the second reason is not only his physical pain, but look in verse 25. He essentially says, the thing that I feared the most has come true. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Essentially, he says, in my unguarded moments, when my business was successful, when my kids were growing up, when my faith was down, in my unguarded moments, I feared this. I feared losing everything. And now my worst fear has come to pass. Thirdly, he reiterates what he's been saying, the whole lament in verse 26. He says, I just don't have any peace. Verse 26, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes my way. And that's pretty well, pretty well the lament that we see from this man who had not sinned with his lips against God, and I don't believe did sin with his lips against God. The text at the very end of Job reiterates that. Job says, God says, you have not spoken rightly of me as my servant Job has. I want to comment really quickly here. Um, You may be thinking the thought that I thought as I ran across this, and my thought was, Was this man of God, was this man who, think of it, on the heights of faith, said, blessed be the name of the Lord, he is given, he's taken, I'm going to worship him? Is this the same man who was right with God and said, honey, can we receive good and not bad from the hand of the Lord? Is this the same guy who then says, really sounds like he's contemplating suicide? I mean, is he doing that? And I suggest to you that he is not. I suggest to you that he is not contemplating suicide. Uh, In the book of Job, what we see Job doing is never uh, thinking about that. Uh, He endures. Uh, Job, from a biblical perspective, in particular in the book of James, we read, hopefully you remember this from a few months ago, uh, James says, remember the perseverance of Job. And that is what Job is known for biblically. Enduring in the midst of suffering. He did not seek a way out of it. He endured, and he is commended for that biblically. I don't think that he is contemplating suicide. I think he is being honest about how he feels. I think he is speaking from the depths of his heart and in in his mind, in that moment, he's like, I don't know, death looks pretty good. He doesn't pursue it, um, but he's being very real. I think Dr. Uh, Thomas Constable comments on the state of Job in this moment, and I think he gets it precisely right. Important words. Listen to this. This is how Job felt when he uttered his soliloquy. He was bitter, but not out of control. He was angry with God, but not cursing God. Job was in despair, but he was not defiant. Towards God. He was feeling his pain intensely, but not accusing God 
of being unjust. His grief had not yet descended to its lowest depths. And I think that's exactly the picture that we get. And that is why I think this is so helpful for us because we see a portrait, a picture of a godly man who was faithful and he is letting it out. He's letting it out. So application-wise, as we wrap up this morning, um, what do we do with this, you know? I mean, why is Job chapter 3 in the book? You know, if it were me, I just wouldn't have wrote it. I, I just wouldn't have wrote it. Job was such a, on a high pedestal, you know, in chapters 1 and 2. I just wouldn't have wrote it if it were me, but it wasn't me, and God intended it. And so God has a purpose uh, for this lament, and he has something to teach us. Several things, I think. I will point out and suggest to you three. Uh, if you're taking notes, write these three things down. First of all, uh, there may be days, there may be days when death seems better than life. There may be days when death seems better than life. Remember to persevere. I think that's what we learn from the book of Job. Job is expressing that precisely, and yet the story of the entire book of Job tells us that he did not contemplate getting out of his suffering. He endured in the midst of his suffering. And so the word for you and I is maybe you feel like Job. Maybe you have felt like Job. Maybe someday you will. Maybe I will feel like Job. Maybe when you read those words, you say, Job is putting voice to something in my heart that I cannot express, but that's how I feel. And so my exhortation to you and to me in this moment is there are going to be days when you feel like Job. So act like Job. You're going to feel like Job. Act like Job. Job persevered. He stuck with it. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He endured. And so persevere. Secondly, not only are there days when death seems better than life, there may be pain that causes us to forget God's blessings. There may be pain in our lives that causes us to forget God's past blessings and God's present blessings. Notice, I think, that this is what is happening with Job. He has gotten to the point where he said, the pain and the suffering that I'm experiencing at this point, I would trade. I would trade all of the good things that came before. And remember, with Job... There was a lot of good things that came before. He was rich. He was godly. He was blessed. He had a wonderful wife and all these kids. God had been tremendously good to him. And God is tremendously good to you and I. And yet he, he says, I would give up all of that in the past if I could just get out of this in the present. Notice what we, Warren Wearsby, a great biblical commentator, says. Job's suffering was so great that he forgot the blessings that he and his family had enjoyed for so many years. He had never, had he never been born, he would never have been the greatest man in the East. But pain makes us forget the joys of the past. Instead, we concentrate on the hopelessness of the future. And so maybe you are like Job in a Job-like crucible, and maybe um, that's exactly happening to you. Maybe you are forgetting God's blessings in the past, and maybe even, as my wife pointed out so wisely, maybe in the midst of that we forget the blessings of the present. As I think about Job, I, I couldn't count the blessings of his present on five fingers. Uh, he's alive. That's a blessing. Uh, in that moment, he had three friends, and they were trying to be sympathetic. That's a blessing. Of course, the third one was about to go, the second one was about to go away, you know, and he was like, he wish he didn't have those friends. 
But he had tremendous blessings in the past and in the present. And suffering causes us to forget that. Third, and this is maybe the biggest one. Third, there will never be a lament that God cannot handle. Third, I think this is the point of the whole chapter. There will never be a lament that God cannot handle. As I've said before, I'll say it again, why I love Job chapter 3 is because Job, uh, he let it out. He was honest. He told God how he felt. He grieved fully. I mean, he, this is a man grieving fully. I don't think he, as Constable said before, I don't think he was uh, cursing God. He wasn't defiant towards God. He wasn't accusing God of being unjust. But he was angry. He was hurt. He was grieved. He was in despair. And he felt his pain intensely. And it was okay. It was okay. Um, I want to share with you one final quote. And then we're going to sing a song um, expressing our surrender to God. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, I've spoken of her before, and I will again. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with her, she has been a quadriplegic, uh, which means she can't move anything, I think, but her you know, upper extremities uh, for many, many years, I think 40 plus years of her life uh, due to an accident as a teenager. And she has written extensively and has a, a, a wonderful ministry to those with disabilities. She says this about this particular passage in Job, and I think it will conclude our sermon well. She says this, What meant the most to me in my suffering was that God never condemns Job for his doubt and despair. It comforted me to realize that God did not condemn me for plying him with questions. I didn't have to worry about insulting God for my outbursts in times of stress and fear and pain. My despair wasn't going to shock him. That's my favorite line. My despair wasn't going to shock him. God, according to the book of Job, is never threatened by our questions. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we're thankful for this time, and we're grateful for Job. There's much for us to learn, and as we wish that much of life was on the mountaintops and without any pain and suffering, we recognize that much of life is in the valley um, with Job. So I pray that you would help us to be believers in Jesus Christ who lament and well, I pray that you would help us to be people who suffer rightly, who uh, trust in you, who don't sin against you with our lips, and who, um, though we feel deeply loss and pain and hurt, um, who run towards you and uh, heal and lament well and ultimately um, bow down as Job, Job did with his face to the ground and he worshiped you. I pray that we would do that now. In Jesus' name.